0: everybody welcome to the latest episode of fresh cuts this is mike joining me as well it's mr venom what's up venom how are you
1: greetings and salutations north american cryptid lovers i'm doing all right mike how you doing
0: pretty good busy halloween season is now in the rearview mirror it's officially november rest of the holiday season coming up so you know i guess family for people with family and otherwise just things are just going to even get from here on out so we'll see how we get through the final two months of the year i can't believe the year has gone by this quick
1: you sound like it's a race
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy man like i don't know the year was already going by fast but october felt like it, it barely started before it was like the last you know the final weekend leading up to halloween and all that
1: sure but, yeah, th- I mean, you're a family guy, so I have no idea what that's like. But, yeah, for me, November is peaceful. You know, I've, I've gotten through my my abundance of podcasts and podcast appearances. Uh, I am looking to take November just very quietly. I, I'm, I'm going to watch a lot of comedies and cartoons in November. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like for me it's like November is sort of like that do nothing month like there is thanksgiving the holiday but out of the three big holidays to end the year thanksgiving is the one where like i could take or leave it
1: um yeah my wife always works thanksgiving so i mean thanksgiving for me is uh you know i run out to mcdonald's
0: (laughs) well my kids would love that answer for that (laughs) is
1: true yeah they'll take chicken nuggets over turkey any day of the week
0: (laughs) oh yeah last year i we didn't even get turkey just forget it
1: i actually am um, not a turkey fan at all even when we do thanksgiving i'm a pot roast guy uh either a ham or a pot roast i, I just turkey i don't know i've never been a big fan
0: yeah I, I i mean i i like it i don't eat it a ton as as far as like you know buying the actual entire bird itself that way mm. i like it jelly sliced on for sandwiches <laughs> that's my, mostly how i consume turkey Ah. Eh. Uh, that I, but that, I guess, is a fresh cut of a different kind, right?
1: Oh <laughs> uh, the dad uh, jokes continue, folks. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, maybe we're going from dad jokes to don jokes. What's up, Don? How are you doing?
2: Yeah, what's going on, guys? Um, I'm looking forward to uh, putting you know, Halloween aside and getting started on Italian Horror Month. So, That's right. family heritage. Yeah, my uh, cultural heritage is going to be proud and strong this year, so looking forward to that because, uh, unlike you guys, I can't fucking stand Thanksgiving food. I I don't even eat any of it. Potatoes, (laughs) stuffing, corn, turkey, ugh. All that stuff is just obnoxious and nauseating. I can't stand any of it.
0: No green bean casserole?
2: Oh, God. I won't even do that. No. Uh, (laughs) I, I, I... I just eat a ham and biscuits. Sometimes I'll go. eat mashed potatoes. Sometimes I'll take macaroni and cheese, but uh, that's pushing it. Yeah, It depends on what kind we make. But, yeah, uh, I, I can't stand anything associated with Thanksgiving food.
0: Yeah, like, I, the older I get, I'm finding that I'm just not in – like, I'll, I'm fine eating the stuff that night, but I've, like, lost interest. You know, how I, I don't know. I guess every family is different, but – there's the years where, like, you know, you would attend a big meal either at your own house or family and you have, like, leftovers for, like, almost a week or something. And I I just lose interest in all that stuff other than, like, the one meal. It's like, give me my one plate of food yeah. I'm good.
1: I feel like turkey is, like, the most difficult of the three meat options that we've already discussed. Between a pot roast, a ham, and a turkey – Turkey seems to be not the hardest, necessarily, as in the hardest to make, but it's the easiest to ruin. If it's undercooked, it could kill you. If it's overcooked, (laughs) it's dry as shit. So it's like, I I can't believe that people gravitate towards turkey. I mean, unless they're master turkey bakers. And honestly, I could count on one hand the amount of times I've had actual Thanksgiving turkey and enjoyed it. You know, because usually, like I said, it's either dry or I'm just not a big turkey fan as I get older. But yeah. It seems like pot roasts and hams would be so much easier to make and, you know, they would get ruined a lot less of the time. I mean, especially if you're making one of those big bone in pot roasts, that thing's going to stay juicy even if you overcook it. So I don't know. I, I don't know why we gravitate towards the most difficult meat to make, but whatever.
2: And it's not even like <laughs> yeah, I, I'm saying it's so not even like we even eat it all that much the rest of the year anyway. It's like, why is this bird associated with this one holiday? You'd have to
1: ask the pilgrims about that one, I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I I pretty much have made it my own self-imposed rule that if I'm attending Thanksgiving anywhere else, I will bring like a can or two of gravy just in case it's like a, a household <laughs> that doesn't have it available by default. Because with turkey, yeah, it's very easy to overcook it and make it dry. I have a pretty good system down just constantly injecting it with like, you know, butter or some type of marinade that'll keep it pretty like uh tender and moist and all that but it's funny because i i did do the deep fried turkey one year and deep fried turkey makes great for dinner but i found that like leftover turkey when you deep fried is is not the greatest when you yeah, any, anything deep fried overnight
1: is pretty awful <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well getting ahead of because it's only November first and that's probably about as much Thanksgiving talk as you'll hear between either show, I guess. Unless we do a commentary special on <laughs> No more and Hell. Oh, but yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well,
2: well I mean, uh, unless... hopefully this turkey talk isn't a precursor for things to come, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, speaking of
2: say,
0: dad jokes. Unless, <laughs> unless on Thanksgiving we're eating uh <laughs> uh wendigo for thanksgiving this year <laughs> maybe that'll relate but um yeah we'll move right on to the movie we are covering so i think we mentioned it the last episode or we kind of threw it out there that we'd possibly be doing two this week because of the way the release schedule was and we are indeed planning not to do that and antlers is the one that just came up first uh i don't know if we like officially decide or it's just the ones that everyone started seeing first but uh Yeah, Antlers, and I will go right to the synopsis. In an isolated Oregon town, a middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student, whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with a legendary ancestral creature who came before them. Okay. And general thoughts, beginning with Venom, what did you think of the movie Antlers?
1: All right, I have seen the full gambit of reviews for this thing from worst thing I've ever seen to best movie of the year and best movie of the year. I've actually heard from a couple of podcasters that I uh, really respect and generally agree with their statement. I'm going to say that I fall somewhere in the middle on antlers antlers is uh, to, to borrow a quote from Mike. It's a solid film. It really is. Like I don't have anything overtly bad to complain about, it's very well written. It's very well acted. The effects, you know, which is a combination of CG and practical, look fine. Since most of the movie takes place at night, they utilize, you know, dark and shadow for maybe effects that don't look so great. Um, <clears throat> there's a good amount of gore. Um, you know, a, a few on-screen kills, which are, you know, kind of come out of nowhere because of the speed of the Wendigo. Um, but my biggest issue with this movie is going to be something that's very personal to me. This movie has Guillermo del Toro attached to it as a producer. Now, in the past, any time Guillermo has had his hand in a project, I, either either as a writer, a director, a producer, a, effects, I mean, whatever hand he has into it, whenever he is involved in a project, there's something very emotional about those films you know you're, you you kind of gravitate towards these characters you you kind of root for them you empathize with them like you actually want them to survive a few examples would be like the kids from the devil's backbone uh our main little girl from pan's labyrinth uh the kids and the parents from the orphanage which you know Guillermo produced uh and I I guess the long and the short of it is this movie is lacking that for me. Like, I have no emotional bond to any character in this movie. And for a movie with Guillermo's name on it, I'm I'm like very like shocked and almost disappointed because, you know, like I said, he he brings an emotionality to his films and a sense of fairy tale wonder That is also mildly missing in this movie, the whole kind of sense of a fairy tale. I mean, we're still getting a Native American, you know, kind of myth or legend uh, looked at in a modern lens. But like I said, the kind of ethereal fairy tale feel to it that even a movie like Tigers Are Not Afraid had, um, even though Guillermo doesn't have anything to do with that movie. But that movie was directed by a Guillermo disciple in Isa Lopez. So You know, the the DNA is still there. So, yeah, this is the first movie with Guillermo's name on it. And mind you, I may not have seen every single Guillermo del Toro movie on the planet that he's had some uh, part in. But of all the ones I've seen, like I said, this is the one where I felt the least empathy for these characters. And I think part of it is that we don't spend any time whatsoever with the characters that end up being like the focus of the curse in this film. There are two characters Uh, I'm trying to be as vague as possible. There's two characters in this movie that are affected by the Wendigo curse, a father and a son. Um, The problem is, is that they are attacked by the Wendigo in the cold open of the film. So literally, I have no time to build up any kind of emotion, any kind of empathy for these characters. And these are the characters that I feel deserve it the most. You know, we've got the sheriff and the sister character, you know, who's a middle school teacher. Um, She gets involved in one of her students' lives, which then leads her to find out that, you know, her father is something else, and it it, it just felt a little rushed to me, it felt a little, and then the time that they do spend with characters is in the second act, and it's with the sheriff and the sister, which... I I kind of didn't care about either one. I like Carrie Russell. I've liked stuff that she's done in the past. Stuff like Dark Skies, uh Mission Impossible 3, stuff like that. I I I'm, I I consider myself a fan of her. But in this movie, I just felt like she was going through the motions. I'm not going to say the performance was bad. It objectively is not bad. It's just it the the characters I I guess it's just the way that the characters were written did very little for me as far as like an empathy uh you know level so that's really going to be my biggest complaint ultimately score uh creature design sound design cinematography um you know all the filmmaking aspects of it are all really well done i'm not going to say they're stellar or masterful but they're very very well done it's it's like i said it's a solid uh hollow uh, uh excuse me hollywood horror film you know theatrical release wide release horror film but it doesn't have that extra little Guillermo touch that I was kind of expecting. And that's probably on me. Um, Because I knew Guillermo's name was attached to this, obviously he's one of my favorite directors on the planet. I have a certain level of expectations for what I get from him. Like I said, the fairy tale feel, um, actually feeling empathy for characters, things like that. And unfortunately, this movie, despite being very well made and like I said, I'm not going to argue with anybody who says this is the best movie of the year for them. That's cool. It's not for me. It will not be in my top ten by the time this year is over. Um, But I did overall enjoy the movie. I think there's a lot in here to take out of it. If you're not as big a Guillermo del Toro stan as I am, then, you know, again, you probably will enjoy it more than me. But I'm just going to say that this is uh, an above average, if not good, uh, Wendigo. I mean, it's probably the best Wendigo movie out there, but ultimately, you know, there's not really all that many to choose from. You know, Uh, I could maybe only think of eight to 10 off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more that I haven't seen, of course, but ultimately of of the ones I've seen, this is solidly the best Wendigo movie out there, but it's still not something that I'm going to write home about. It's not something that I'm going to rave about. It's um, it's just a really solid, well-made movie that I think most people will enjoy. Uh, though, like I said, I have seen reviews where people hated it. They hate the characters, they hate the uh, the, the Wendigo design, blah blah blah. So, I'm going to cut my general thoughts off here and basically say that overall I enjoyed it, but because it didn't have the the uh, the different special touches that are that we usually see in a Guillermo movie, I was slightly underwhelmed with the film. But overall, I did like it. Okay,
0: Don. General thoughts.
2: Okay, um, I'm kind of gonna be a little on uh, Venom's side here. Uh, not necessarily for his personal reasons, but for his more objective ones, because I, I kind of agree with what a lot of what he said. Uh, it generally the best part of this is the creature, and it, almost every scene he's in is basically a highlight for me. Um, uh, the attacks are great. I love the gore. Uh, I love the design of it. I love the execution. You know, more practical than CGI. Please, God, keep doing this. I, I loved it. And it, it looks good. It moves great. You know, there's a few great well-timed jump scares that just, you know, the creature comes out of nowhere and grabs somebody, and it, it looks... Re- but, yeah. Uh, wow, the story to this is kind of... Um, and it didn't dawn on me until Venom mentioned the del Toro touch that that was kind of what I was missing with this, because it seems like the focus is on the wrong people in a Guillermo film. It's we focus on the people affected with the, with this condition. We should be following the kid and his, you know, we should be following the, the kid and his brother who are tormented by what's going on around them, because that's a far more creepy concept than what's going on in the main story that we get this you know the sheriff and his sister that are dealing with their own personal tragedies that's not interesting uh, uh, there's been dozens of these films this whole year that i've dealt with grief and trauma and you know tormented childhood abuse coming back to the forefront that's not interesting at all and i was completely taken aback by that i have no idea where he got this rushed thing from because the only thing that's rushed is the final act because a lot of that, it just seems to feel far more energetic than this, just absolutely dull and dragging first two thirds. Mm-hmm. Cause I was almost legitimately bored during parts of this. It was moving that slow. I, I don't get where the rush comes from unless, like I said, you're talking about the third act because that was, that was energetic. That was rousing. And you know, a lot of that's with the creature on the loose, but yeah, uh, for the most part, I. Following the, char- the main characters that we do, it, it's not interesting for me. So I, I was kind of just checking out of it, uh, checking out of it at times. For the most part, uh, other than that, uh, yeah, uh, this was—it's it, okay. Huh? You know, like I said, I'm not gonna have it on my top ten list. I'm not gonna have it as pretty much any of the uh, best of year accolades or rewards or. Anything like that, unless we're discussing individual creatures, because then, yeah, let's just give it all the awards. Um, I don't (laughs) see anything else coming close. But, um, yeah, for like as an overall film presentation. uh, uh, Yeah, this didn't do much for me.
1: Yeah, the problem I, I feel like the problem with the second act is that the characters on the screen are spending a lot of time trying to figure out what the viewers already have figured out. And when you do that you tend to bore your audience unless you're giving them like really action packed visceral scenes. The majority of the second act is the sheriff and his sister just trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, because they mentioned the word Wendigo in the trailer, we, as horror viewers, we know what we're, you know, we know what we're getting as soon as we walk into the theater. We already know the mystery of it all, unless the director was going to go for a swerve, which thankfully he doesn't. But It's like we literally spend a good 20 or 30 minutes of the second act just watching these characters trying to figure out what the audience already has. And like I said, that tends to kind of bring down um, the movie a little bit, at least for me. So, yeah, it's too bad. Mm. Back Back to to you, Mike. Mike.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah, I wasn't sure if Dawn was done. Okay, um... So I am gonna say that I liked it a lot more than you guys, a lot more. Um, what's where can I start with this? So I, I look at the movie as more. Uh, I look at it as uh, how can I put this? I'm trying to figure out how to explain what I'm gonna say. I believe that. But the reason we spend so much time with the sheriff and his sister is because we we need to have a reason why Carrie Russell's character cares to get involved as opposed to just your normal run of the run of the mill person. that would be like, oh, what the hell? Like, I don't care. This has nothing to do with me. I'm not going to get involved. Um, I, I think the the movie's un- underlying theme Generally speaking, because you know, there's nuances and aspects to it, is basically that how trauma, abuse, um, aspects from your childhood can, uh, can and do turn you into what you become as an adult. So, in some cases, monster, in some cases, you know, broken people. Um, I think it can manifest in addiction, it can manifest in other ways. And I uh, you know it it comes off kinda of like a redemption story, I guess, for Carrie Russell's character in a way that's one direction it can go. But I think really, I mean, we're looking at um, you know, a town, obviously small mining town that's somewhat somewhat ravaged. I, I I think you can go deep with what it's trying to say, but at, at the end of the day, um, i think it, to me it was necessary that's we need the sheriff well actually we need the contrast between the and, and what the hell I, their names uh julia and paul, and paul sheriff, sheriff sheriff meadows and julia um I, I think it's important because we need that contrast in them you see that you know Obviously, they were both abused. We get a better idea of, uh, of uh, Carrie Russell's or Julia's trauma, you know, in, in some flashbacks. And we get why she wants uh, to get involved versus uh, Paul is more, you know, I'm going to do it by the book. This isn't our problem. We can only do so, mu- so much. And I think that reflects kind of like how they uh, face the trauma from their childhood little building blocks that make you the adult you are and i think what the movie's getting across is yes everyone that deals with trauma is going to turn into a monster necessarily but it can still break you as a person and it still sticks with you as an adult you know you don't go to therapy for a few years or escape it like one of the characters did got the hell out of town and tried to go have a normal life and so they somewhat had you know a good life but that stuff still doesn't escape you. And I think it was important to establish the traits of the characters in order to justify my major issue with the, with this movie. I don't have a lot, but my, my issue is by the time we get to the second act going into the third, they, the story kind of paints it or writes itself into a story to where like the finale, I found a little bit, unbelievable as far as like how everything kind of wraps up i was just like really like that that's how um it goes out and i can't really say specify until we get into spoilers Uh because that would be just crazy spoiling it um but overall i mean i i personally do not understand when people say like they didn't they they didn't um I don't want to say relate because relates a loaded word because personally related versus just Uh When people say like I didn't care about the characters or the you know the emotional baggage all well, that, I'm like, well, I don't understand. Like I don't understand was what wasn't portrayed well as far as the trauma. I mean, to me, it, w- it was spelled out easily. It was very right there to be understood. I mean.
1: I don't think anyone, at least Don and myself, I don't think that anyone is necessarily saying we didn't see the trauma. I think what we're saying is that we didn't care. Uh, I have five words for you, Mike. The dark and the wicked. That movie did personal trauma ten times better than this movie. I cared about those characters and we got just as much background with those characters as we did with these. I just didn't find these characters likable. That's the problem. You've got a hard-nosed sheriff who's, you know, he's set in his ways and, you know, ultimately that's very realistic. I'm okay with that. But then we get this, you know, woman who, I don't know. She like expects everyone to understand what's going on in her head And then even when she kind of tries to explain to her brother uh, her mentality for leaving, he still kind of has the attitude of uh, it still was kind of a weak move on your part to leave rather than to deal. So, like I said, just overall, I just didn't like these characters. I see the trauma. I see the broken psyches. I absolutely do. I just didn't care. Thank you.
0: I mean, I don't understand. I couldn't understand, though. I don't understand why. What do you mean
1: you don't care? I mean, what's wrong? <laughs> I, I'm not I, saying they're bad people and that, they're, that you shouldn't cheer for them or get behind them or root for them, whatever you want to go with. I'm saying there was nothing about their personalities that made them likable to me. I didn't relate to them. I didn't gravitate towards them as opposed to characters like, uh, like I said, uh, Dark and the Wicked. That movie just painted a picture of trauma so much better than this movie and spent less time doing it. Um, that That's when you know you have a master class in filmmaking because you can spend less time with a topic, but we understand it more. This movie takes more time with the trauma, taking time away from the horror of the film, or the, the actual horror as opposed to the mental or emotional horror of it all but they take all this time with these two characters whereas in the dark and the wicked the brother and sister were they were the main focus they were the ones that both had the trauma and were being affected by the antagonism of the film this one like i said whenever we're spending time with the brother and with the sheriff and his sister it's taking time away from the Wendigo, from Aiden's story, from Lucas's story, you know what I mean? And but, I just but think see
0: that... to me, the movie isn't there. The to me, the movie isn't the kid's story. That the the kid is the plot device that drives the story of. The brother to me, it's Carrie. This is really Carrie Russell or that character. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> and Julia, it's Julia's redemption story. That's what the movie. Well,
1: redemption from is. what? What did she do that was so wrong? You keep because saying redemption she,
0: because the whole conflict between her and her brother is that there is abuse going on in the house, and her right. her decision was I'm just going to run away from it, and leave my brother alone uh taking the abuse and I'm not going to do anything to put a stop to. It. I'm just going to get the hell out of there and oh well I escaped so whatever. I mean that and I and obviously we don't we we there's enough dots that aren't connected in their history sure. that we kind of have to figure it out in our head like okay it sounds like what happened was they were being abused and as soon as she was either of age or had an excuse to leave she left and when she and then obviously she comes back to town and fuck now while we're getting into spoilers. So I'm like, sure, I, 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 I shouldn't even be saying all this, but
1: okay, what I'm
0: saying is, what I'm saying is that's, that's the point of uh, okay, her even my, wanting to get involved in the first fight. Yes. Okay. No.
2: To counter your argument, that only makes sense if the Wendigo is the representation of the trauma she faced initially. That only makes your argument make sense. The Wendigo, it was just It's not connected to her trauma. She's not, rede- she's not being redeemed by anything. That's the well, only the, thing that makes your argument make and sense. And
1: then I'm not going to disagree with you, Mike, about this being more about the sheriff and the sister. What I am going to say is if that is the case, if this film was made to be more centered around their story, then I like the movie even less. Literally, because I just I'm sorry, Whoa. Mike, I, 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 I'm not trying to say you're wrong by any stretch of the imagination. All I'm saying is that I didn't get the level of attachment with these characters that you got. I didn't find them likable in any way. I didn't think she needed a redemption. In my personal opinion, she 100 percent did the right thing. Now, I understand that, you know, when she comes home, she now has to deal with a family member that she left behind and his guilt or maybe not his guilt, but his anger. But ultimately, it's his anger. He has to deal with it. That She did nothing wrong. Period. Well, yeah, but that, but I, okay.
0: Here, no, I understand that. But what, my explanation was I'm not judging the character. I'm just explaining the conflict between the characters and why she feels guilty about right. it. Obviously, and again, obviously, that's put the conflict between them through all these years. She probably never wanted to go back not only because of the abuse of Home, but because she didn't want to face the guilt and the shame that she probably has been carrying with her, that I didn't really do anything to stop it from happening to my brother once I got the hell out of there. And then I guess later in life, I can't remember if it was because the parent died and she didn't, did she say, like, I didn't want you to be? I can't remember. There yeah, was the a reason, specific reason cool. she came back. Right. Now I'm not I'm not making a personal judgment about what I agree with she did or not I'm just explaining the the character dynamic and why I felt it was more this and and in you, to your point if you feel that is a miscalculation in the story and they should have focused on you know it being about the kid and what's yes. then that's a perfectly valid criticism like I, I can't disagree with your assessment i i but i'm just saying in my mind it was she it was really her her arc it was her arc from going you know from i mean that's just how i felt. i mean i could be no wrong it's valid too, like, like i
1: said you're 100 percent valid i just don't like it you know what i mean if, if the director of this film were to actually someday in an interview agree with you and say that yeah This is definitely Julia and Paul's story more than it is uh, Lucas and Frank. If you were to ever say that, I'd be like, well, then I may I may actually hate this movie then because this is called it's called Antlers on the poster is a child surrounded by antlers. It is produced by Guillermo del Toro. We were not expecting a family drama when we get here. And and like I said, the fact that the family drama didn't work on me cuz usually it does. We've already talked about Dark and the Wicked. I and I keep going back to it because I'm sorry, that movie just did it 10 times better. I don't like these characters. I think they're I I personally I think uh, they're she's broken and he's selfish. And I understand. And I have no well, idea what. I you think they're to
2: both do.
0: broken. You know? Oh, they're both
1: broken. <laughs> I, but
0: I, I think they're both broken, and they're dealing with it in their different ways. That's what makes them those characters. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, but but but. Again, with the spending so much time with her and trying to figure her trying to figure out the mystery of the Weaver House and what's actually going on there, I just didn't find it compelling at all. And then and now that you're talking about their arc, the brother and the sister, it's like I didn't care about them at all. If this movie was 100 percent about them, I would hate this movie. Just flat out. It's again, nothing to do with their acting necessarily, nothing to do with maybe the writing could have been a little bit crisper or maybe they could have spent more time with Frank and and Aiden, you know, before the cold open. That's my biggest complaint is that we are not concentrating on the real people who are affected by this. You know, these are bystanders. Uh, Julia and Paul are bystanders to everything that's happening in the town because they're dealing with their own personal crap, you know, from inside their family. Why are we spending all the time with them? Damn it. This is a horror film. Last I checked. Oh, wow. And now that I look at it on IMDb, it actually says drama horror. Holy shit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, to me, to me, it would be a drama horror, honestly. And, I,
1: no, it I mean, is, and, but I guess that's just not what I was expecting. And, and again, expectations fail me. But it's not like I was looking for a balls to the walls, you know, creature feature with fairies flying around, you know, like Guillermo likes to do and shit like that. No, not at all. But I was just, I wish they would have spent more time with the actual. Cur- like I wish they would have spent more time with the Native American. I love that actor. Oh, uh, uh,
0: I do agree. I think that. Now that you bring that up, Ah. other than other than my one weakness, I do kind of feel that they missed the mark by kind of making him like a throwaway. Oh, I'm going to come in for my one scene of exposition to, you know, they do that in all sorts of horror movies where it's like, oh, the ethnic person is going to come in and show their expertise and then (laughs) promptly exit the movie. Like that, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, that is a trope of way too many horror movies. Yeah. And I understand, like, why it happened 30 years ago in horror movies. But nowadays, in spite of he lives in the town. He's like a member of. No, the he's Kane, the former he, sheriff. Yeah, exactly. He's like, the former probably, sheriff, yeah. That character probably does. Unless, like, I mean, honestly, if they wanted him, if they didn't have more for him, they could have at least written something like or they could have made him of have his mind wants to get the hell out yeah yeah, yeah or that too
1: yeah just because ultimately graham green is probably the best actor in this film and they utilize him the least i love graham green this guy is awesome way better than jesse pyman's and carrie russell in my opinion um like i said it's just another wasted opportunity not enough of the wendigo not enough of warren of the former sheriff uh sheriff stokes um, you know, it, it, I hadn't even thought about that uh, coming into this episode too. That I was really upset with how little they use them. So yeah, Um, uh, Mike, obviously you love the movie more than we do. That's a hundred percent valid. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I'm, I'm love,
0: love is strong, but I, well, I liked it a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah, I liked it a lot. Whatever. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it just like I said, I I, I couldn't because it doesn't. The, the biggest thing for me is the lack of Guillermo Flair. But the second biggest thing would be the lack of Wendigo uh, and and more about the legend. I don't necessarily mean I need more death scenes, though those could have helped, too. But um, just more about the legend. Maybe talk about somebody who became a Wendigo in the past. Like, you know, oh, we all heard the story of old, you know, Bob Brown, who lived in the woods and, you know, back in the 1700s, blah, 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 blah. You know, give us a little bit of legend, maybe a, just a little extra on the Wendigo. Like I said, for a movie called Antlers, that for the most part is about a Native American, you know, cryptid, you know, mythological creature, uh, we spent a lot of time with family drama. And, you know, like I said, I I, I think since I just wasn't expecting that, it left me a little sour. Maybe if I would have watched a trailer ahead of time, I might have gotten that idea. Obviously, you know, I don't watch trailers, so... All I knew is I'm going to watch a Guillermo del Toro produced creature feature. That's all I knew about it. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, I mean, you know, the expectations aren't going to be that high for a modern creature feature. But I was yeah. still mildly disappointed.
0: I I haven't seen the trailer in, what, two years when it was originally going to come out. So I honestly don't even remember the tra- anything oh, from the trailer. I, I, I kind of went into this not expecting anything in any way because I couldn't remember what the – yeah. trailer showed, but also del toro producing i mean if he would have been the director writer and you got this movie but like whenever it says producing ooh, i i kind of like ooh, if he
2: got that you know, I'd, I'd probably call this the worst film he's ever made oh easily yeah, <laughs> yeah by, if, by far <laughs> yeah if, if del toro if what we have as is right now the only credit the only thing that's changing is the credit that says directed by guillermo del toro i would automatically call this the worst
1: yeah, so yeah I mean, expectations yeah. there. And and even though he's kind of, you know, because his movies are so masterful, he's kind of painted himself into a corner where he can't even really do a subpar movie without people absolutely railing on him. And, you know, and not to say that this is subpar. I've already said, for the most part, I enjoy Antlers. Uh, you guys know the way I podcast. I tend to concentrate on the negative just so that everyone is aware, you know exactly what I didn't like about it. But ultimately, it is a beautiful film. It's very well made. Yeah. Uh, just you know, the story left me a little lacking. That's all.
2: Yeah, same here. Yeah. See,
0: I well. Yeah, I, I understand it. I think to Mike me, just I, likes
1: drama more than he wants to admit. Because
2: <laughs> I don't well, like drama. I'll fully admit. Yeah, I'm well, I I certainly like, causing. I mean, yeah. an, I'm saying he's certainly causing enough of it on the show. <laughs>
0: i mean i like
1: drama drama movies yeah yeah, yeah i don't
0: that, I mean, but... you
2: know that from theme warriors
1: see to me
0: to song me song. this to, in in my opinion it would have been a lesser movie if it was just a Wendigo running around murdering people oh, because sure, that's something course. i can get from any creature feature right. movie yeah. and i i barely even consider this a creature feature movie and i think that's one of the things that, that probably I, a yeah, lot in not necessarily from you guys because you have more nuanced opinions but a lot on social media, I get the vibe that people, you know, probably saw the poster or maybe the trailer. I, I haven't, I don't remember the trailer myself, but maybe people just saw the name Antlers, saw the poster, and assumed, okay, this is going to be about a wild creature in the woods running around, killing people. And if, if that's obviously what you were expecting, I can totally understand being disappointed. But then I would say, but that doesn't make it a bad movie. It just makes it something different than what you we're hoping to get where you and Don are more explaining other issues you have with it, not necessarily that.
1: No, I mean, but like I said, I mean, I, as I've already said, I'm not a big drama fan, but when it's done well, as in a couple of examples that we've already talked about, then I really do enjoy it. I mean, Hey, St. Maud is still my number one movie of the year. That is basically a drama with five minutes of horror movie attached at the end. So, yeah, but I mean, sure. as a as a subgenre, like like I don't generally watch dramatic films. Like if, if a movie is just a straight drama, I I don't gravitate towards it. I like a little bit of fantasy in my films, you know, something fantastical out of this world, just not normal. So dramas to me just feel too much like real life. So I tend not to really gravitate towards them. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, if it was done better and, and I know I can't. I am no film director or writer, so I'm having trouble putting into words specifically why or how they could have done this drama better. Obviously, Mike is very happy with it. So, you know, for his level of enjoyment for dramatic stuff is obviously a lot higher than mine. For me, it's like it has to be done stellar. It's got to be like Scorsese or De Palma drama for me to really even like it that much. And ultimately, for well, me, yeah, now we're talking time,
0: like the top tier.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Uh It would have to be top tier for me to want to voluntarily watch a drama, you know, but it's just I don't know. I, I, I just if these characters were a little bit more likable, I might because because ultimately, she's a pushy bitch. He is a stuck up fart that's stuck in his ways. And it's like, they don't really have anything too likable about them other than they do care about each other in some way, shape or form. I'm not going to go out and say love. Cause I don't know that these two even hugged at any point in this film. So, you yeah. know, I won't go so uh, yeah. far as to say love, but there's obviously emotional attachment between the two. And yeah. I just found they myself both. bored during those scenes. It's like, you know, during during the dramatic scenes in Dark and the Wicked, I was not bored. I was fully invested, and I can't put into words why that one is so much better than this one. I, like I said, I'm not a filmmaker. I all I know is what I like, and I did not like the drama of this film. Um, yeah, you know, nah, I mean, uh, yeah, I
2: I almost forgot to be bored during Dark and the Wicked. It's that engrossing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah but i mean i i get it but i mean there's people that didn't like dark and the wicked who would say the same thing that like they were bored versus the drama so it, it just kind of i guess it just comes down to personal like taste or opinion on the specific way characters are written or or you know how it came across to the individual for like to me i i, I didn't well i mean i do think they got across uh her genuine concern for the kid i mean i I think that was somewhat of a good quality. She was,
2: and then see that's the thing.
1: I wasn't. I wasn't one hundred percent convinced of her uh, caring for the kid. I feel like she was doing it for herself because remember, everyone in her class hated her. All the kids didn't like her. She had only been there a few weeks. She was the new teacher. None of the, uh, you know, we had that scene where she would ask questions, but only one student would raise their hand. And which obviously was infuriating her. So I, I don't want. I, I see your point, Mike. I see what you're getting at. I just don't. Well, need it that it black was brother
0: life. replacement theory, basically. To me, um, that's what they were getting. It was the uh, same reason, like in Aliens. It was like in Aliens. Alien or uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver or Ripley is determined that I need to save Newt because I couldn't save my daughter. Or. Uh, Uh, I had another example in my head earlier, but now I can't Mm -hmm. remember. But, you know, basically I screwed everything up with my own brother, maybe not necessarily her fault, but that's just the way things turned out with their mutual resentment that they're probably going to carry somewhat through the rest of their life. And uh, I'm attaching that to the cause of saving this other little kid. I mean, that's, you know, that's a trope. That's exactly right. So that's what I thought they were going Right,
1: But that's why I'm saying she's not genuine because she's it's brother replacement, you just said it, she feels like she fucked up with her brother, so now she feels like she needs to go above and beyond with this one troubled student. It's well, like that
0: does it i don't I don't think that makes it not authentic it just gives a motivation i mean that, oh, wait, I wait, don't it, think it's
1: authentic i i authentic may have been the wrong word um, likable I guess is the best way to put it. It feels selfish to me it feels self serving you know well I don't and think yes, the
0: little kid cares though.
1: <laughs> I, mean, well, he's yeah, not I mean, he didn't want the help to begin with. I mean, he was actually mad every time she showed up or asked some questions, uh, you know, about his home life or his art or whatever. And yeah, I understand he's a teacher. It's just, he's
0: a broken character too, which he I think is a recurring thing. Whole, the whole town is broke. Yes, which uh, I, I think when we got the um, the scene with the, name you know, it's a small mining town in Oregon. I really think they're alluding to the destruction of the town itself that the mining caused, it was sure. really like the root of the origin of the Wendigo. And because it, it see, I, I think that he was alluding to the former sheriff that like it goes after people carrying trauma in that. And that's, that's who it targets. So, you know, that's kind of like the backdrop of everything. And, uh, when oh, yeah, I, I totally agree with all that. dad was an addict and an abuser and all that so it, sure. it got guy. Um like I said the kid's obviously all messed up cuz he's trying to feed his his dad Wendigo kind of, you know. Sure,
1: sure.
0: The kid well, he's trying his to his keep him from dad, transport. I,
1: well, I mean we'll get into we'll get into that in spoilers but yeah there's a very specific reason that he's feeding his father and it's not just to keep him alive. But we'll get into that in spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Haven't we been for like the last half hour?
1: I mean, we've been getting deeper and deeper into the film. The more we talk, I'm trying to stay as ambiguous as possible. Ultimately folks, you know, whether you've seen the movie or not, you know, it's a Wendigo story. We already know this, whether you watch a trailer or you listen to a review. So we kind of know what we're in for already. You know, this movie didn't take any time or effort to rewrite the rules or, you know, to, to you know, whatever the case may be, change the mythology. You know, it's a very color by numbers Wendigo movie. It's just, it's got really cool effects and, you know, it, it's got some good uh, DNA behind it as far as its filmmakers go um, with its producer and writer. But like I said, uh, just a little disappointing. Like I said, I, I agree with Mike. I agree with just about everything he's said so far um i just feel like if that's where the movie was going it takes away from the horror and it just turns into a drama that happens to have a creature in it and you know there's nothing wrong with that mind you it's just not what speaks to me that's all ultimately with all these reviews that we do it's always about individual taste and i'm just letting you guys know um You know, the movie is good. It is worth seeing. Absolutely. But it's it just didn't blow my mind. It did not that I was expecting like the number one movie of the year or anything, but I was expecting a little bit more emotional attachment to these characters. And I really just found myself disliking all of them. I, I hated the sister. I hated the sheriff. I hated almost every adult in this town except for, you know, our former sheriff, the the Native American. Uh, uh, otherwise, and, and that alludes to Mike's point, again, that the whole town is broken. Again, I am agreeing with Mike. That is correct. I just don't like it. So, you know, there's just a lot about this movie that I thought could have been done better or not done at all. Um, that would have helped the movie, uh, especially its pacing in the second act. But, yeah, you know, what are we going to do? Let's get into spoilers um is there anything left <laughs> deeper spoilers <laughs> <laughs> but like you said yeah, it's a wendigo story Like it's like when you say a movie is a vampire movie you know if i say jacob's wife is a vampire movie you know the basic structure of the film already there's an attack there's a transformation there's an adjustment period and you know then the ending either the vampire gets killed or they find a way to live you know peacefully blah 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 Same thing with the Wendigo story. We already know the basic story structure. It's a matter of the extra stuff that they add. And I didn't like the extra stuff is all I'm saying, you know, Um, not to say that the movie didn't need drama. I would love to see, you know, good drama, drama that actually got me into these characters. But like I said, ultimately, these characters aren't likable to me um for whatever reason the the characters in dark and the wicked and other examples uh they are just more likable these two to me don't come off as likable like nothing about them is likable i don't care that they're broken people they're brother and sister and they can't even hold a conversation how the hell are they going to be able to hold relationships outside of their house so you well, know well, they're they're, they're the working
0: approach. on it. I mean, but
1: they are working absolutely, and they're
0: working on it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hopefully, now with the end of the movie ending the way it did, it might kind of be a positive turn for the quote unquote family. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> um. So I, so, okay. I don't know if start for
1: spoilers. I mean, we've already talked about you know our movie opens with a cold open. Uh, We get Frank Weaver and one of his friends, and they're actually cleaning out a meth lab. Apparently, they're worried about getting caught, so they're moving the meth lab out of an old mine. Um, Obviously, this is a mining town. Uh, This is an old, closed-down mine. Unfortunately, Frank made the mistake of bringing his young son with him, very young. Uh, Aiden's actually the smaller, uh, the younger brother of the two. And, of course, the inevitable happens. They end up getting attacked. Um, The other character, uh, not Frank, but Frank's friend, ends up getting, what, cut in like, split in half, torn in half, actually. Mm -hmm. Another great effect. You know, we get some really cool aftermath shots here. We may not see as much cool stuff when the uh, Wendigo is on screen, but the aftermath shots are awesome. So, yeah, well worth it. Um. And then we're introduced to Lucas, Lucas Weaver. He is uh, going to the town school. He is a student of uh, Carrie Russell's character, Julia, who is the new middle school teacher at this local school. She sees that he's, you know, drawing these really dark and bloody imagery, you know, these child's drawings that we've seen in multiple horror films. She becomes concerned. The movie just kind of goes on from there. Uh, We see we see Lucas walking home from school one day, finding a dead dog on the ground and actually grabbing a plastic bag and picking it up, picking up like chunks of the dog and taking it home. We then see him throw the meat into a locked room um, and behind that locked room, of course, we hear growling sound effects and things like that. But the other thing we hear is a young boy's voice. And that is Lucas's little brother, Aiden. Now, Aiden, I don't know. They never, to my knowledge, they never really give us any kind of explanation in the film. The only thing that I can think of is just that since his dad was an adult, the curse took hold a little bit harder than the kid who's just got a smaller little brain. Because the dad becomes the traditional just wild madman. You know, his hair is falling out. His skin is like... Um, getting blotchy and changing colors and his teeth are almost like sharpening, but he's still basically human. And that's why uh, our Lucas has been feeding him uh, animals because what happens as soon as Frank tastes human flesh for the first time, that's when he full on Mm -hmm. becomes the Wendigo. This is one thing that I thought the movie actually did really cool is that when when the cursed person takes that final step of eating human flesh, the Wendigo actually rips out of their body. Like, we we don't see the whole thing, unfortunately. We do see the antlers kind of rip out of Frank's dad's face in a very kind of cg looking thing but again it's a dark room so it's acceptable it's like the top of a pineapple coming out of his mouth (laughs) yeah i mean it's a a silly way to look at it but it is valid it's correct and then later on in the movie like in the next scene we actually see the husk of frank weaver the police assume that he's dead because his body is on the ground but it looks like something tore out of it But, of course, you know, police are logical. They're not going to make those kind of assumptions. So they just assume that, you know, Frank attacked. Oh, and then the woman who he attacked was the school administrator who, um, after Julia told her, you know, gave her her concerns and showed her the pictures that Lucas has been drawing. She took it upon herself to go to the Weaver house herself. Um, This was after uh, Julia had already gone to the Weaver House, but Julia did the smart thing when she opened the front door and heard like animalistic growling noises. She got the fuck out of there. She closed the door and just walked out, as opposed mm-hmm. to the school administrator who she walks up to the door, opens it, hears sounds, and then just continues going into the house. Now, obviously, she is a school administrator doing a welfare check on a on a former student. So it makes sense that she walks into the house. I, you know, I'm not really bitching about that. But the fact that she walks all through the house, goes all the way upstairs, finds finds a room that's double bolted, mind you, and just decides, hey, I wonder what's back here. <laughs> and, yeah, just goes ahead and opens it. She goes ahead and walks into the attic. It's like an attached room. And she is attached yeah, by Frank. friend
0: the- this movie is full of brave characters willing to go do stuff on their own cuz usually if true. you're if you're <laughs> if you're doing a welfare check as a school administrator you might at least have one member of law enforcement with you especially in this case where it seems like everyone involved in school and law enforcement is pretty aware that uh the dad is like an unsavory character like not not necessarily like a hardened criminal or anything but uh, it's sketchy enough to where, like, as a you know, a principal of a school, a female principal, are you really gonna go yeah. checking around the house by yourself? Like, yeah. if, especially I mean, if you're gonna go inside the house, like, no, nah, that's about where I call law law enforcement to be yeah. with me.
1: Valid, absolutely valid. Especially the fact that, you know, he was a known drug dealer in the town. I mean, everybody already knew this. And like I said, in the cold open, we see them clearing out a meth lab and taking it to a new location. Obviously, they're attacked before they get the chance. But um, so, yeah, it's very the town is very I mean, even the sheriff is like, yeah, don't go to Frank Weaver's house. Just leave him alone, you know. Uh, If we have a reason or a suspicion to go over there, we'll do it. Like he literally says that to both his sister and the administrator and they both disobey him. They literally they turn around. Literally, the sister goes to the house. And like I said, she runs away as soon as she hears something crazy. But our administrator does the complete opposite. And and yeah, Mike, you're 100 percent correct. It doesn't make sense that they would go to a known drug dealer's house who has a child that's been pulled out of school for no reason, yeah, there's no way she would be there without... Even in a small town that only has, like, four cops, you'd think, at least take a security guard with you, something. Like, the school probably has a security guard, right? Take him with you. Mm-hmm.
0: So, it is a weird Yeah, choice, or sort of... or you call law enforcement to do the welfare check. Say, exactly. hey, we haven't yeah, heard from no this parent, can you herself. go check on their door?
1: I almost yeah. feel like uh, she had... A little bit of a hero complex like I think she purposely went there in the hopes that she would be able to find something and like save Aiden or whatever save Lucas she had a little bit of a hero complex because it's the only explanation for how a single older woman is literally just going to nonchalantly walk into what is basically a shanty I mean that the house they lived in is atrocious it looks like it's been you know abandoned forever Uh, And she just walks into it like nothing. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those bad character horror movie character decisions that advances the plot. But for whatever it's worth, you know, I'm not going to bitch too much about it because we do get that spectacular scene after Frank attacks her and then fully becomes the Wendigo. I do like that, that they kind of stuck to that, that, you know, he didn't fully make the transformation until he ate human flesh. So that's kind of cool, even though they didn't specifically say it in the movie You know, those of us who actually follow the Wendigo story, you know, know that's usually key, eating human flesh, because the Native American character even mentions that sometimes people will just go out into the woods, they'll end up eating human flesh, and then they'll just come back as a Wendigo. Like, they won't have any talk of, like, an attack or anything. Literally just, it's almost like, you know, some spirit, some greater power punishing them for eating human flesh, so... You know, again, you know, I like that they stuck with the mythology. They didn't really do anything too terribly new, but I, I still, you know, as far as everything they did with the Wendigo in this movie, I just about love all of it. I have no major yeah, complaints. Yeah,
0: it, it, it's all. Anytime you go outside of like, you know, like a standard animal, because like, you know, if it's a if it's a shark, like in Jaws, or a bear or something we all have clear definitions, full background knowledge on what those animals do. Are they exaggerated for horror movies? Sure. But when it comes to like a quote-unquote mythical creature, it's always kind of a delicate balance like how do you want to get across the mythology? How much of it do you show? How do you handle the design versus, you know, what kind of reference material we have? And I thought overall when it came to the creature itself in this, they handled it pretty well.
1: Yeah, definitely. That, I mean, it's definitely the high point of the film for me is, you know, that final scene, the, you know, the final battle. Um, just like Mike says, you know, the ending may not be the most satisfying out there. Um, Creature-wise, it's great. Uh, but how the scene actually
0: played out is kind of like, uh, I mean, I guess for the story purposes, I'll it's a accept little it. But Yeah, uh, it's yeah a it, a it feels convenient.
2: It, it it does feel a little rushed. I felt that's like the one thing, like I said, the final third of the film is a little rushed just because we spend two thirds of it on family drama that that was the one part that Phil feels rushed where they're just, you know, trying to get, get a means to an end. Mm-hmm. It's, and especially if you're dealing with a creature that's been this, that's, you know, this powerful and this, you know, mm-hmm. devastating and this kind of, troubling then to deal with it and as quickly as it does feels yeah like
0: that's out. where i was going with it especially her i i thought that even though the brother got attacked i thought like at the last minute they might do the thing where like well he's just okay enough to go in with her but once she went in alone i was like uh it's could go one of two ways with her going in there alone <laughs> and uh it went the way it went
1: yeah, I mean, Jesus, I don't even honestly remember how they stopped the Wendigo. How did they actually stop it? I forget.
0: Uh, she basically did exactly what the native elder, oh, well, right. the former sheriff, said. Yeah, basically it's like glowing chest and you got to take the heart out and yeah, destroy totally. the heart and all that. and Just the fact that she was able to do that. Because, like, the scene itself I thought was good. It was, like, you know, creepy uh, it was, I, I thought the creature came off as terrifying in that scene, but just the fact that she man it was like, well, wait a minute, if she can go into the, and to me that this falls on, like, do you give that, maybe not a pass, but do you say it's okay because it's, it's trying to play up like the mythical stuff where she's trying to like, you know, almost like she's trying to bring balance to this whole thing with the trauma. I don't know, but it just seemed a little like, how the hell is this, you know, Carrie Russell, all 90 pounds of her <laughs> is going to walk in there and just, yeah. you know, I think his first, she has like a metal bar or something that she's like stabbing mm-hmm. it with or something. And I'm just like, come on. Like I, that's, a, that's the, that's what I had the biggest, Issue is that she could one on one just take this thing out like that.
1: Yeah, that's a little um unbelievable, if you will. Especially because they said they they set her up to be like this tender character. Like she's not a tough chick, you know. She's not Linda Hamilton or anything like that. She comes back as a very broken, yeah. um, mouseish, if you will, character. Obviously, she's a teacher, so she has to have a certain level of confidence to talk to her students and teach them and everything but she really doesn't come off like a tough chick a "quote unquote tough chick" you know um so yeah, it is a little she, bit of a reach yeah and
0: it's like i i understand i can buy her motivation to do it sure but okay but that's different than what she, once she's actually in there can she actually pull it off cuz you can be motivated to do something but uh when like once you get to it and it's like oh yeah this isn't gonna happen
1: (laughs) exactly and then uh basically after she takes the heart out destroys the heart killing the wendigo instantly as soon as she destroys the heart now aiden starts um showing signs of turning not not full-on turning into the wendigo but that first stage of like just a crazy maniac who just wants to eat meat you know eat flesh constantly So he is now like he's not talking anymore like Aiden was talking the entire movie. But then as soon as they you know destroy the heart of the main Wendigo, I guess the spirit of the Wendigo transferred over to him. And that's when he starts doing his like little animal sounds and growls and things like that. And then we do get what I will admit is a fairly emotional scene where uh, Carrie Russell's character recognizes what's happening to Aiden. And just like when you get bit by a zombie. There's not really much hope. So, you know, obviously she wants to take out Aiden right away. Lucas, being the protective old, older brother, you know, gets in their way, gets in the, you know, in her way, keeping her from being able to kill Aiden. She eventually, you know, is able to talk him into, you know, understanding the situation that there's no saving Aiden. You know, the, the Lucas even said multiple times, oh, he's just sick. He's just sick. He'll get better. But obviously, you know, Julia knows he's not getting any better. He is only going to get worse unless we stop it now, which after after some prodding, Lucas does relent and allow her to go ahead and destroy Aiden, which she does off scene. You know, we kind of hear the effects of her, you know, killing Aiden and Lucas obviously um, reacting to them and, you know, kind of getting sad. Because then, we get that
0: last one where she embraces the younger brother. Like she's kind of holding him in the hug exactly. position. Yep. Kind of like she knows she has to do it. She's like kind of regretting that she has to do it, but it has to be done. That whole scene, I was kind of going back and forth because as it's playing out, I was wondering if there was ever a point where Lucas was going to turn on her because being yeah. the son and the older brother, whether he was going to be like, I'm not going to let you either kill my dad or my little brother. But ultimately he understood enough of the situation going on to where he mm-hmm. relented and said, okay, it's got to be done. I agree.
1: Yep. And then after that, we just get one final scene where we see, you know, Sheriff Meadows, Julia, uh they're kind of talking about what they could what they're going to do with Lucas. Obviously Lucas has no more family left um you know no one in the town can take responsibility for him. But again as Mike mentioned earlier because Julia left her brother alone in an abusive situation, she didn't want to do that with Lucas, so it looks like for all intents and purposes Julia and Paul are going to adopt or, you know, at the very least foster Lucas. And a final shot of the film is basically all three of them hand in hand walking away. And that's antlers, folks.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's like since they're brother and sister, I would almost assume like she's trying to adopt him. But since she's living in his house for now, right. he's like a de facto male figure. But if she ever, well, this is obviously pure a hypothetical speaking, exactly, but yeah. like if she if she ever dated and got married, then that would technically become the adoptive father because since it's just brothers, you know you know what I'm saying. But um, sure, sure, yeah. It like, it, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the important part was okay. He he's not left alone. I guess that's all that really matters for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. They they you know they didn't want to leave him to the court system or the you know the child protective services, blah blah blah, and ultimately, hopefully, Lucas, you know, is better for it. Obviously, the movie is over at this point. We're not going to follow these characters for the next 20 years to see what happens. Although, who knows? The movie is, you know, getting some good reviews. Like I said, I've seen every possible review from garbage to masterpiece and everything in between. It's sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb currently, which is a damn good score for a horror film, for a theatrical horror film. Um, we'll see if that goes down in the coming weeks and months or if more people start gravitating towards this film and really enjoying it, um, especially after it, it gets like it's VOD and physical media release. But, yeah, um, I, I guess, the you know, the gist of everything I've said is that I did overall enjoy the movie. There's a lot in here to take away from it. That's cool. A lot of themes, a lot of, you know, viscera and blood and cool creature effects.
0: Wait, um, did you mention the end end after she walks off with uh,
1: Lucas? Uh, I did not.
0: When like the what starts happening with Paul? I meant, like what we're supposed to. Oh right, I thought, I totally. I thought they were implying that, right? Yeah, they kind of like the curse are, went yeah. to Paul.
1: Basically,
0: he starts coughing, which at first you just feel it's like innocent coughing. Like, oh, he just had to cough. But then he starts coughing up like black stuff, I think. And he starts like bleeding from the eyes or something. So it's alluding to the fact that the curse has moved to him. Yeah, obviously, because he's surviving an attack. So that would make sense. He was
1: attacked. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm sure at some point the Wendigo, you know, cut him or scratched him or whatever enough to transfer the curse. Oh, yeah.
0: Because when he was in the shed. Yeah, After was, the initial attack, when he got knocked almost unconscious and he was sitting up against the shed, the it came back and like stabbed through the wall, and that's when I think he was like actually bleeding and suffered from a wound. Okay. So yeah, he.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so you know, set up for a sequel, or do we really care about Paul that much? Mike obviously does. I I don't I
0: don't, I don't think <laughs> the story needs a sequel though. I mean, oh okay. god. I, I, I think it leaves off kind of where we started, where there's this broken town, and that's why the curse lives on in the town, because it's a bunch of trauma and brokenness where Wendigo, like would thrive, it, you know, as, as the legend goes.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and then it's just going to turn into a remake of Dark Was the Night, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well... Don did we miss anything?
2: I couldn't tell. I mean, yeah, we skipped over all the family drama, but nobody wants recaps of those conversations.
0: <laughs> oh, well, let me uh start right now. No, no. Just kidding. Hey, but you know, the one of the one of bull, the uh the red-headed bully in this spoke a word that we do not speak in cinema anymore. <laughs> that you don't really hear out said anymore, like the 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 famous number one word used in 80s movies bullying. Um, so I'll, when he said When he said it, I was like whoa, whoa whoa Okay we're getting I mean it makes sense the, since it's a
1: small town You know they're probably a, a good oh yeah, decade oh yeah. Behind everybody else No it <laughs> makes sense
0: like I I, I wasn't Thinking it that way I was just surprised Because you, you just don't hear it used That much anymore oh, like, even Even in movies like this where it probably is Appropriate given the context I was still kind of like surprised Okay they actually wrote that image at all in that I mean for the the context of the movie. Good. Sure. Uh, yeah, that was cool. Uh, I thought the child actors were good. I mean, you know, I I mean, all
1: the actors were fine. Like I said, I didn't have, there there were no cringy line deliveries. All the performances were believable. You know, it's, it's not like the acting was bad. Not at all. It's just what they were talking about. Didn't interest me. Yeah. Uh, That's my,
2: that was what I was saying. Yeah. It's not them. It's what they're having to do. Yeah.
1: So, you know, some people are going to love this movie. Some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to fall in the middle. I, I I feel like I kind of fall in the middle. Like, you know, um, it's still worth seeing. I'm still absolutely saying um, I recommend the film. I think you should see it in theaters. There's some cool set pieces that you could watch on the big screen. Um, but as far as essential viewing, uh, I might draw the line there. Still good, though, like I said. Mike might say it's essential viewing, but not me.
0: Uh, uh, I mean, I would say go see it for sure. I... It, it, there's there's enough creature stuff and the sound design I would say it's worth seeing in the theater oh, yeah. I, I would much prefer seeing this in the theater than at home, but I mean that's just movies in general for me anyway, so I don't know how much of an endorsement <laughs> you know if <laughs> I like it even somewhat I'm gonna say see it in the theater just because sure. that's who I am yeah. but uh yeah, so that's uh one of two fresh cuts that will be coming in this week. I'd say between week and week and a half, just depending on how quick I get the next episode out. But uh, yeah, let's uh, hear where we can hear everybody at. So Venom, what else you got going on right now?
1: Um, In two days, we will finally be recording the return of uh, In the Mic of Madness with our salute to 1981 and... Hopefully that'll be out shortly after that. That was meant to be our Halloween episode, but because of scheduling conflicts and other things, uh, it had to be postponed multiple times. But as of right now, we are solidly recording this week. So if nothing changes, that'll get done in a couple of days. It's Not Horror Okay is back. Uh, I believe it's back this week, actually. I think this Thursday we're going to record our return episode. I'm not sure what film we're looking at, but you know we, we will be back now that October is over. All of our horror movie watches for the month are done, so we can get back to our cheesy action movies and comedies and things like that. Uh, Let's see, on um, Creature Comforts, episode number two is available. We looked at 1941's The Wolfman. That is our October episode for Creature Comforts. Coming in November for episode number three, we will be looking at 1954's Them, looking at some radioactive giant ants. And we will also have our very first guest on the series, and that will be Bo Ransdell from the Dark Parade, um, Sinister Sundays, and other Legion podcasts. So that'll be fun, a a creature-featured lover, definitely. Uh, So look out for that sometime in mid to late November. That episode will probably be out right around Thanksgiving, I would say, just before or just after. Uh, The main show, we just recorded episode 39 this past weekend, where we looked at my picks. Uh, I decided for our Halloween episode to look at a couple of underappreciated witch movies. So we looked at 1972's Season of the Witch by the master George A. Romero and 2013's Witchin' and Bitchin' from maybe a newer horror master, Alex De La Iglesias, who also directed uh, The Day of the Beast, a spectacular Christmas horror film from 1995. Um So look out for that episode. It was a quickie because we actually recorded it on Devil's Night, October 30th. And as you'll hear on the show... I celebrate Halloween whether I have a podcast to do or not. So you get a little bit of drunk venom on episode 39. I actually think I did pretty well considering, what, I think I drank nine fat tires in the course of three hours that we recorded, so I I think I did pretty well, actually. I didn't slur too many of my words, and I didn't call Mike an asshole more than once or twice, so yeah, rock on. Mm -hmm. Let's see, Mm -hmm. um... Obviously, all of my guest appearances for podcasts for, you know, October are all out there. Um, As far as November moving forward, hopefully we'll have the return of Theme Warriors now that the rest of us are all, you know, we're done with October. We're done with the summer series. You know, we've got some free time once again. Uh, So who knows? Maybe Theme Warriors will be back sooner than later. Uh, What am I missing? Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Uh, We still have that uh, episode from September. I'm not even sure if it's been released yet, but if it hasn't, hit up Jerry Herring and find out. But uh, that's on Legion Podcast, so I I don't follow that network as closely as Dark Discussions, because the majority of my shows are there. So Um, maybe I'll find out what's up with that episode with Jerry and we'll see. But it may be out by the time you hear this, so look out for that. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, where we looked at uh, Gamera versus Buragon, and continue our Ultraman retrospective. And I think that's it for me, Mike. Okay,
0: over to you, Don.
2: All right, so uh, Venom sorry already hit uh, Underwater Kaiju and uh, Creature Comforts. Uh the only other thing for me is a a uh, couple of guest spots. Uh my podcast on uh Indonesian horror from uh, Phantom Galaxy is out where uh we just did a uh, special just gathering roundtable table of uh various Indonesian horror films. Um and uh my other guest spot was on uh, indie film cafes 31 days of indie horror for October where I looked at the 2021 film butchers um i think that's it's um although i do have two upcoming guest spots that um I, I i can only reveal one i am going to be joining uh beau ransell of uh, the dark parade to look at the night of the demons remake that's the uh next franchise that he's covering there after uh, the psycho franchise which Venom you did one and two right Yes sir. Yeah, so uh I'm joining him for the uh Night of the Demons remake which I'm kind of excited about. Um and then like I said the other one is uh still in the early stages of uh scheduling. Um I know what I'm going to be covering but um we're waiting on uh scheduling and when we're going to get that done but uh that one um I believe should be out closer to the end of the year, end of the month. So um I'll probably talk about that later in more detail not ne- not this ep- not next episode but uh, the episodes after that's me
0: okay um as far as i go yeah nothing that i haven't already mentioned so um if you've heard like our previous episodes which we've released a bunch lately
2: mm.
0: you pretty much are caught up with where i am and what i've been doing other than our own shows so i'll just say nothing new at the moment so just Keep checking out Fresh Cuts and No More Room in Hell and all the other good stuff. So, uh, yeah, our next episode is going to be, what, Last Night in Soho, is it? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that should be uh, releasing probably within, I would say, like a half a week maybe because we'll be recording it later this week. Uh, I, I think I'm not 100% if I'm going to do what I usually do, with, which is as soon as it records, you know, get it out ASAP. Or I might, because we're technically taking next week off, maybe I'll just release it or set it to where it's ready to release on Monday or Tuesday. So it'll feel like the normal schedule of releasing episodes. Just kind of depends. Um, since we'll be recording this one later in the week, you know, different schedule as far as like what I do on my off time so uh it'll if if it's not like released at the end of this week it'll be early next week at the latest so either way just look out for that and then we'll be back the following week with something I just don't know if it's it's theatrical or not by that time if not it doesn't matter because we got plenty of VOD stacked up waiting to be so, all right. Well, with that said, we're going to get out of here. Fresh we'll be back soon with another
1: episode. That, Whoever is beaten by a Wendigo and lives becomes a Wendigo himself.
2: Adios. Yes,